I will not be joining you today. I'm up here. It's a lot of kids here for second service. <laughs> that time change. <laughs> Sorry, Ben. Been subbing for me today. So. <laughs> All right. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Emily. I'm the children's pastor here. So some. Of, oh, thank you. <laughs> So some of you may not see me very regularly because I'm always downstairs with the kids. Um, but I uh, have been the children's pastor here um, for 11 years. This is, going, this is my 11th year. So, um, yeah. Yeah, still loving it. Um, it's, it's great. I mean, these kids are awesome. We have, we have amazing kids in this church. Sorry. <laughs> They choke me up, man, seeing them up here with the flags, just worshiping God, like, unabandoned. It's awesome. Okay, that's not what I'm speaking on today, so I need to move along. Whew, okay. <laughs> so, yes, I'm the children's pastor here, and my husband um, is Pastor Greg. He's our youth pastor, and he's the one on crutches, you see, hobbling along <laughs> through the hallways. <laughs> um, but he's been our youth pastor here, I think, about five years now. And um, when he started in ministry, we thought, you know, first, how are we going to do this? Um, how are we both going to be in ministry to separate ministries and yet be involved in each other's ministries as well? Um, it's, it's a lot. How are we going to do that? And we really focused on synchronizing our ministries, understanding that together we serve the family. Um, and so we wanted to come at children's and youth ministry from the perspective of family ministry, ministering to the whole family so that we weren't pulling apart the family and saying, you know, no, we need teens over here. No, we need kids over here. And parents are like, wait, I don't know where to go. So we really wanted to work together for that. And um, one of the things that we noticed or one of the things we really wanted to work on was those transitional ages where kids are transitioning from children's ministry to youth ministry, youth ministry into adulthood, um, and even within the children's ministry, um, there's different transitional ages. And we noticed it was at those ages that we tend to um, lose attendance with children, um, whether it's their schedule gets busier, they're going through changes, things are different. And um, we noticed that there were these key points in a child's life where they um, weren't as committed to the church, weren't coming anymore. And so we wanted to make sure that we were intentional about those ages, that we were really reaching those ages and highlighting them so they weren't just passed over. And so um, in doing that, that's how we came up with our idea for our parent summit, which you've probably heard um, information about it. We've been promoting it for the past month. Um, it's coming up next Saturday. Um, but our idea for the parent summit was that the parents would be able to come and be prepared for these transitional ages, for um, what their child was going to be going through. And so we have these breakout groups that are designed to address these different ages and stages and how do we prepare parents for them, and then also how do we celebrate them, and how do we celebrate them as a faith community. It's not something that's just in the family or in the home. It's something that we should be doing all together here as a church body. And so we took our idea for the Parent Summit um, from the verse Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 9, if you want. That's going to be kind of our text for today, if you want um, to mark it or open, um, open up to it. 
But uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 is what's known as the Shema. Um, the, the word Shema in Hebrew means hear. And it's called that because the first word um, is hear. And it, uh, it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And so the Shema was um, central to Israel's covenant with God. This was their covenant that they were to love the Lord. He was to be their top priority, number one. Nothing was in front of him. And in the New Testament, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He quotes the Shema. He says the Shema, that that is the number one commandment. And so it's the greatest commandment. It's the covenant that Israel made with God. But there's another command in there, and that's to pass this on, pass this covenant on to the next generations, to share it with the next generations. Now, parents are given the responsibility by God to be the primary faith trainer in the home. They are responsible for their child's spiritual formation. But I think it's interesting in here, it doesn't say parents impress them on your children you know, parents talk about them. I mean, that's kind of a given. It's implied. But I think that's interesting because it's not just the parents' responsibility to impress these things on our children or to share these things with our children. It's the entire faith communities. It is all our responsibility to pass our faith on to the next generation, which is, which is basically the sin that Israel kept repeating over and over and over again. If you've taken any DI classes, I teach the two Old Testament classes, and that's kind of a repeated theme throughout. It's like, there goes Israel again. They didn't, didn't follow the command um, because they didn't pass their faith on to the next generation. And over and over again, you read about, um, you know, that generation forgetting or not, not even knowing, not even knowing um, the law or what they were supposed to be doing. And so part of the Shema and part of the, or a lot of the law is ritual. They remember their covenant with God because they're supposed to do it over and over and over again. They made sacrifices for their sins over and over again. They celebrated holy days and festivals and feasts over and over again. And they were the same thing over and over. You know, God was detailed. He gives the directions. This is what you say. This is how you do it. Uh, because he wanted it to be followed so that the next generation would have all of that information and that faith would be passed on to them. And so that's what, you know, we want to do with these milestones, with these um, different transitional ages that our kids are going through. We don't want to be so bound to rituals that it's in a legalistic way or, you know, that it's following a law but we want to take God's model and understand that there's a place and a purpose for rituals because they um, help us to remember who God is and to celebrate what he has done and to really focus our life on him. And so today as I'm um, speaking about rituals, I'm going to be using terms like family and children a lot 
I'm a children's pastor, so that's, you know, that's my job. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. But I want you to understand that this applies to everyone in this room. It applies to you in your own relationship with God, but also it applies to you because you attend a church, and as a member of a church, you are responsible to share your faith with the next generation. That's what that verse is talking about. So, so, oh, wow, thanks. <laughs> um, so, okay, the importance of rituals. So, rituals play a key role in shaping not only the individual, but also the group, um, the group dynamic. Rituals shape a person as they celebrate these things. Um, they shape an individual, shape who they are. But it also identifies that individual with a group. It ties them to a specific community within the rituals that they're celebrating. Um, And it binds people together, and um, they have this unified experience together. And so there's two components to a ritual. You have um, to remember. Rituals help you to remember. And then to celebrate. For example, every month we take communion together. That is a ritual. That is something that God commanded of us, Jesus commanded of us. But it's a ritual. We do it to remember what Jesus did for us, but we also do it to celebrate his victory. And it's something that it might mean something differently for everybody because of their own individual experiences and relationship with Jesus. But it also binds us together as a community. It's a group experience. It's something that we share together. And we do that month after month. And it doesn't really change. Like, it's the, you know, it's the same wording, the same thing. Um, so that it's easier. I think this is why it's the same. Maybe it's just because that's what Jesus said to do. But it's easier to remember, right? When you hear the same thing over and over, I'm sure many of you could probably come up here and lead communion because you've done it so many times, right? You know the words. Um, it's that repetition. And that's the point of rituals is the repetition um, helps you to remember and then also to celebrate, And then rituals also tie the individual to God's story and to our story as a body or as a uh, faith community. So while an individual celebrates something, for example, their baptism or a high school graduation, it's something that is their individual story. It's part of their individual story, but it also ties them to the greater picture of our church community and God's larger plan and God's larger story. So there are three types of rituals that we celebrate or that we partake in. And the first one is celebrations. These are things like your holidays, tradition, or not traditions, I'm sorry, transitions. So those um, key milestones that kids go through. And these are great places for the church and family to unite. We come together at holidays. It centers around the biblical story. Um, We have events like our candlelight service or our Passover services coming up, our Good Friday service. These are events that we celebrate together. They tie us together as a community. Um, And they're a part of who we are. And there's people, I think this is incredible, that there's people who have moved on from the church, but yet they still come to those celebrations because they've become part of their identity and part of their story. That's their celebration, their tradition, And so they still come back to it, and they're tied to our community in that way. And so we want to do that with these milestones with the children, that they 
are celebrated here in this community, that they know they have a body of people behind them and supporting them. So as they grow, and even if they go off somewhere else, they know that they still have a home and community here. All right, the second type of rituals are traditions. Traditions remind the family of its own story and its own personal identity. So every family, you have your own traditions. Um, Every household, you have things that you do. You do it a certain way. Maybe you have a certain recipe that you make, you know, every Thanksgiving or Christmas. And there's a reason why you do it. And traditions connect to the actions of a previous generation. And um, so it ties present generations to the past. And uh, we can use these as a means to remind children of God's story and what he's done in our families over the years. And in the celebration of Passover, there's a portion where the children ask their parents four questions. They ask them why. Why on all other nights do we dip our vegetables only once and on tonight we dip it a couple times? Obviously, I didn't memorize that part, but <laughs> but you get the idea. They ask why, and the parents are supposed to give them a response. Do we do that with our own traditions? Do we explain to our children, this is why we do things this way. This is why we celebrate this tradition, because, you know, God was so faithful and blah, 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 or because, you know, your grandmother was a woman of God, and she baked the best, you know, pumpkin pie or whatever, <laughs> We tie it to the past, but tie it to God's story and um, his interaction in our life. The last type of ritual are routines. These are the rituals that we do most frequently, every day, um, once a week, but they're less planned. We don't necessarily plan for them. For example, you have bedtime routines. Um, Maybe with your children, you pray before bed, you read a Bible story, um, dinner time, maybe you you know you pray together, have conversation. Um, that though culturally, many families don't have dinner time anymore together. So maybe you have a different routine. Maybe it's like in the car on the way to soccer practice. You're having family devotions. I don't know, um, but that's a routine for you. And then church, coming to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. This should be routine for us. This should be something that we are regularly doing um, as a family, as believers. And routines emphasize value. So the more you do something, it communicates a higher value. If you, if you really value something, you're going to repeat it over and over again. And that's how children learn is through repetition. The more they do something, they learn. And so when we bring our children to church, we're communicating the value of it And the more they do it, they're learning that. All right, so we're going to look at some ways that rituals strengthen the family um, and really strengthen the individual and your relationship and your covenant with God. So the first one is that rituals make changes and transitions more manageable. And this is really what um, our desire was with the Parent Summit, was to make these transitional ages where we seem to see a dip Um, you know, we're losing kids because they're tough transitions, they're tough ages. And so we wanted to be intentional about preparing parents, preparing grandparents um, for those ages and for those transitions and the changes. Um, Families that prepare and celebrate for their child's milestones of independence are better able to cope with the changes and disruptions those changes bring to the family system. 
So I know I, I talk to parents a lot. I work with kids as they're moving up into junior high, and then they transition into um, the youth group at that point. And that's a tough age. And um, I know a lot of parents kind of dread it sometimes, like, oh, what are they going to go through? What, you know, how am I going to talk to them? But sometimes we wait too long until they're in the middle of it to address it. We, you know, they're, my kid's 13, now what do I do? We have to start looking at it back when kids are like 9 and 10 years old and preparing them. This is what you're going to be going through, and this is what that means. And talking about, you know, well, in the youth, at church, these are the changes that are going to happen. You're not going to be in the kids' ministry anymore. You're going to be in the youth ministry. Really preparing the parents for the changes so that they can prepare their children, but then also celebrating those changes as well. And as a family at church that we celebrate these kids are, you know, growing older, but also not just, it's not just developmental changes, but spiritual growth. You know, there's spiritual walk from baby dedication where parents are dedicating their children to the Lord, to salvation and baptism, um, rite of passage when they're becoming, you know, a man, a woman of God, um, and all the way up into, you know, graduation where they're living their life for Christ and celebrating that as a community. All right, number two, uh, rituals facilitate the transmission of values and beliefs. So like I said before, the more you do something, it emphasizes its value. So what are the things that your family values? What are values in your family? Um, I'm going to assume, because we're all in church today, we would say our value, we value God, right? God is a value in our home. Um, so we have to then look, do our routines back that up to our children? Do the things that we do repeatedly um, show our children that we value God, that we value time with him and value church? Is church a priority in your home, or do other things sometimes get in the way? Um, I was just talking to someone between services about how it sometimes seems, you know, we can get so busy, and it seems like the thing that we always bend on is church. You know, church should be the one thing we don't bend on. Like, that should be the standard, and then everything else kind of goes around it. Um, <laughs> And, but unfortunately, in, I mean, today's culture, in today's society, families are busy. There is a lot that's expected of our children and of parents. And so attending church once a month, sometimes every other week, is, is the new norm. Um, we've even, you know, we talk as a staff when we're prepping events and, you know, doing announcements and things. And we always say, well, we got to make sure we give it a month because not everyone's here every week. Like, we, we know that. You know, we know that people are not here every, every week. And, and that's normal now. And so what is it that's causing this break in our routine of coming to church? Um, number one, it's inconvenient. Let's be honest. Church is inconvenient. Um, it just doesn't fit in our schedule Sunday morning you know, how many people hit the snooze button a couple times today? I know it's daylight savings time. <laughs> um, you know, it's too early. It's too late. It, I have other things going on. We have practice. We have a game. We have a birthday party. I have a, a shower. Um, but when we attend church on a weekly basis, we show our children that being a person who loves God 
And lives in the way of Jesus often means doing things that are inconvenient for us. Jesus is inconvenient. Like, I mean, that's, if you haven't figured that out yet, like, <laughs> um, it, church is inconvenient. It's in, it, it just is. And so we have to look at, though, what do we value? What is most important? Um, in our own home, Greg and I set up, when we got married, before we even had kids, that church is a value in our home. We go, that's what we do. On Sundays and Wednesdays, we go to church. And everything else falls around that. We have, you know, we have family members that Sundays, that's when they plan their birthday parties for their kids. We don't go. We're late. Or we're late. We make it in time for cake, you know. <laughs> and, you know, some people say, that's your family. Yeah, I value family, but I value God more, and I value my relationship with God more. And I'm communicating that with them. Um, we're we're communicating. Communicating a message to that to them and to the world, you know, when we say no, I can't go to that, you know, wedding shower on Sunday. I'll be there afterward because um, I'm a Christian. I go to church, and that's a message that you're communicating that you value church and you value God. Um, Greg is my husband. He's a wrestling coach. Like he understands the importance of sports and practices. Like he gets it. But he also understands the value of church. And on Wednesdays, if they have a wrestling meet, he makes arrangements to drive separately from the team so that as soon as it's over, or he might have to leave a little bit early, but he makes it, you know, to church on time. That's, it's inconvenient. <laughs> Sometimes he doesn't, like, get to eat dinner, but he does it because that's a value. Being here is a value. And so another reason we don't always attend, not only is it inconvenient, but we also don't have enough time. When we attend church, we're not in control of our time. Um, you don't realize the power I have right now, but I have you all in this room, right? <laughs> you can't leave until I'm done. I mean, you can, but um, but I hold the microphone. No. <laughs> but, I mean, it, and with kids, it's much different. With kids downstairs, is class over yet? Is it time to go yet? You guys luckily don't do that, so thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm used to the heckling downstairs. But in our busy pace of life, I mean, we're busy, right? We schedule so much. So to have to sit in a chair and, like, be quiet and listen and reflect on God, that's, that's very abnormal, right, from what we're used to. And so um, our children need to understand the value of stopping slow down. Let's spend some time with God. Let's reflect on him. They need that time to just stop and slow down because they are overscheduled. Our kids, their schedules are busier than our schedules. I don't, I don't know about you, but, um, and this idea, you know, comes from the participation of some children in so many activities stems from the belief that the activities will help them be successful in life as an adult. And I mean, this, this is just the normal now for kids. You know, they're starting all the way in elementary school, kindergarten, they're, like, prepping for college in kindergarten. Um, and, that, like, that's not a joke. Like, that's, that's real. Um, because, you know, they have to get the good grades. They got to take the AP courses and, and get the best grades so that they, you know, can get a good scholarship. And they're in all these extracurricular activities because it looks better on college applications. And there's so much pressure on them to do well and to succeed. And maybe that's the value in your family. And that's okay if, if that's 
okay, that's your value. That's what you're communicating. That success is what we expect in this home. But if you're saying, no, we value, you know, we value church. We value your relationship with God. Sometimes these other things might have to take a back seat. And that's okay. And I'm not saying it's bad to go to college or get good grades or anything like that. Like, that's, that's important. That's good. You, you have to get a job. That's, you know, the way of the world. You have to do it. But at what sacrifice? At what price? You know, the Bible says, what good is it for someone to gain the world yet forfeit their soul? These kids who are spending so much time away from church to get into college, when they go to college and they're faced with, you know, these liberal professors, what foundation do they have to stand in those arguments? And when they start questioning their faith, what foundation do they have or what faith community do they have to back them up when they're in a secular world. And so they have to be prepared. They have to have that faith community and they have to have that teaching. Um, they, they're just under so much pressure to be perfect and to be the best. And I was talking to my dad this week about um, what he did when, you know, when we were kids. And he said, even, you know, Wednesday nights, church was more important than homework. That even if we weren't done with our homework, we still came to church and you finished it either after or Thursday morning, you woke up really early, but you made sure homework was done because you don't miss church on Wednesdays. And he said, um, you know, I'd rather have a kid that got B's and C's, but I know is serving the Lord. So, yeah. I just wish I knew that in high school. (laughs) But it's good. (laughs) All right, and so then because kids are so overscheduled, They tend to share authority with the parents about family priorities and values. They have so much on their plate, and they start to feel that their things, their activities are just as or more important than the parents' priorities and values. It used to be that, you know, if if dad had something, you know, dad's at work and mom has something going on, well, then, no, sorry, Jimmy, you can't go to your friend's house today, or you're not going to be able to do that because we have plans. Nowadays, it's, okay, I'll pick them up at this time, and you figure this out, and I'll be late to my meeting, and then we'll do this. And what that's communicating to the kids is that their needs and wants are just as important as the parents. It's not. You're the parent. You decide what's important in your home. You decide what your home values. And by equalizing these priorities and values, it also teaches children that their individual needs and desires are more important than social, public, or their faith community commitments. So they get this idea, because they get the idea at home, well, my activity, my thing is more important than mom and dad's. So then they start thinking, well, my thing is more important than my commitment to you. I can't, I can't come to church tonight. I can't fulfill my commitment because I have to do this. I have this going on. And they break those commitments. And it's because they're getting this message that, they're more important, that it's more important, that, that the individual needs are more important than the commitment or the community as a whole. And um, an example of this, our culture is not a, a church culture anymore. Sundays aren't church day anymore. I mean, I don't, I don't feel like it's been that long. I mean, I feel like growing up, that was still, maybe it's just because that was our home, but Sunday was church day. You know, that's the Lord's day. That's not it. Sunday's brunch day. Did you know that? Sunday's brunch day. It's where everybody goes and has brunch with people. Like, that's, that's a thing. And um, 
it's, and that's what our kids are growing up in. If they're in, you know, if they have friends who aren't Christians, they don't understand that church Sunday is church day. And so you have kids who, you know, Saturday nights are always that sleepover night. And um, unfortunately, then kids miss church because they slept over their friend's house. In our home, if I was sleeping over someone's house this Saturday night, I was getting picked up at 7 o'clock in the morning so that I could go to church. That was the rule. Sure, you can spend the night, but we're going to wake you up at, you know, pick you up at 7 o'clock, and you better be ready. We're going to church. That's how it was. Um, Or there's just so much that kids are involved in. Sports schedules, band, music, dance, choir. Um, I mean, even just the homework. I can't believe how much homework these kids are given. And um, those things aren't bad things. I'm not saying, like, it's everything else or church. That's not what I'm saying at all. Understand, you know, what I'm saying. But you have to decide what is most valuable in your home. What do you hold to a, a high standard? What is the spiritual discipline in your home? And so you need to decide who's making these decisions for your home. Is it, are your children making the decisions? Are the coaches and teachers and band directors, are they making the decisions? You have to be the advocate for your children. Um, we hear all the time in the youth group of kids who say, like, if, if I don't go to this practice, I'm off the team. If I don't go to this, I fail my class. And these teachers, you know, throw these threats around to the kids. And I'm not saying don't do those things. That Maybe in some cases there are times where you say, you know what, no, you're not going to take that Wednesday night class or do that Wednesday night practice, we have church. But in other cases, it just might mean you have to be more intentional in your spiritual disciplines and what you're doing in your home. Um, You need to develop a new spiritual plan. Uh, I had a parent just a couple weeks ago message me. Um, She said, my my kid has... uh, Soccer, Sunday mornings. They're not going to be able to come to church Sunday mornings. So do you have any suggestions for a church that meets on Saturday night so we can still attend as a family? And I was like, yes. Like, that's it. They got it. It wasn't like, oh, you're just not going to see us for a month. We've got, you know, something going on. They made a plan so that church was still a priority, and they were going to sacrifice other things on Saturday night so that they could attend church as a Sunday, on a Sunday I'm sorry, as a family. So that's, you know, that amazes me. And so, again, it's these extracurricular things aren't bad things. They're great things. They teach kids tons of, you know, values of commitment and and teamwork. And it's great to have a hobby. Those are great things. But you have to be careful that you're not sacrificing church and God in the process. Um, If you can't be at church on a Sunday or Wednesday, if your kid can't, then form a small group. You know, if they can't come to youth group on Wednesday nights, then call up some of their friends and say, Thursday nights we're doing Bible studies at my house. Come on over. Your kid's still getting teaching, and they're getting um, community. Because it's not just about the teaching. It's about the faith community as well. All right. um, Number three, rituals contribute to building family identity. So children understand and internalize these values as they are told the story of their family over and over again. So this is what we do. This is why we do it. We go to church. This is why. And they hear that over and over again, and they begin to internalize that, and that becomes part of their identity. 
So what is your legacy? What are you leaving your children? What do you want them to remember about you um, and about your family for generations to come? I love, um, I do like ancestry stuff all the time. Um, I love ancestry.com and learning about my ancestors and everything. And I love that um, my grandfather's mother um, never met her, but when I hear stories about her from people who knew her, the stories I always hear, your great-grandmother, what a strong woman of God. She was just the godliest woman. We would hear her pray all the time. I, I, have, I don't know this woman. I've never met this woman. I don't even, I don't even know, like, oh, yeah, I do know her name. I was going to say, I don't even know her name. I do. Okay, but I have no, like, relation with this woman, but I know that I have someone in my family who was a strong woman of God, you know, who she started a church. Like, that's incredible. That's what our children need. They need these stories of past generations passed down to them. And don't you want that to be your story? Don't you want, like, your great-granddaughter or great-grandson? I mean, hopefully you get to meet them. But don't you want that to be your legacy, that they hear they were a strong man or woman of God? They were, you know, at church. They were a key member at their church. And, I mean, that's what I, I would want that. So what are you passing on to your kids? And parents assume that their children have the same beliefs and convictions that they do because, well, they live in a Christian home. They see it modeled by us. But sometimes that's not enough. Um, Sorry, I lost my spot. Um, Kids may have the same beliefs until a certain age, but at some point they're going to start to question things because they're internalizing their faith. And you might have convictions and beliefs, but it's because you have years of experience that brought you to that point. Your child doesn't have that. They just know, well, that's what mom and dad went through. And so what's keeping them when they start to have questions, when they start to, and then they will. They're going to question their faith. That's a good thing. They're internalizing their faith then. But are they going to be doing it in a place where they're backed by a body of believers who can support them and give them the godly answers? Or is it going to be when they're away at college or out in the world and who are they surrounded by? We want them here, you know, in a body in the church and from their family, these um, answers being given to them from the Bible. All right, family rituals which coordinate the family, church, and community values are helpful to young people in developing their personal identity. So in the Jewish community, um, children celebrate the transition from childhood to adulthood. At age 13, they celebrate their bar or bar mitzvah. And at that point, um, there's requirements that they have to do, but they take on a new status, a different status. At that point, they are considered a man or a woman, in the Jewish community. And they are treated as such because they're accountable to the law. So they are told at 13 years old, you are now a man, you are now a woman. In America, when do our children become adults? Is it though? I mean, really, when you think about it, children go from children to preteen to teen to young adult to then, like, at what point are you considered an adult? Is it 16 when you get your license? You know, a little bit of independence? Is it, we say 18, why? Because you can vote? Or because, you know, you can buy a pack of cigarettes? Like, what, what is it, like, what is it that marks that point? Is it 21? Because now they can go drink? Like, aren't these great milestones in our culture? Um, 
Is it 30? When, you know, is it when they move out? Is it when they get a family of their own? Like, what is the identifying mark that they're an adult? And the problem we're having is what's called extended adolescence. It's a real thing. Extended adolescence, it's a real thing. Google it. <laughs> um, young people are dealing with the transitions of adolescence well into their 20s and even their 30s. Because, yeah, even older sometimes. Be, they're dependent on other people. They're not independent. They're, um, and so what Milestone tells our kids, you're an, you're an adult. Our kids aren't taking responsibility for their behavior or their actions because it's not given to them. We're not telling them, you're an adult now. You better act like one. <laughs> they, they're not hearing that. Um, and so they use their age as an excuse. Well, I'm a, I hear this all the time from the sixth graders. I'm a preteen, so I'm supposed to act that way. No, you're not. <laughs> not if you're a Christian. Where are your fruit? <laughs> but they need people telling them that, right? I mean, we have college, you know, college age. It's like, that's the thing. I'm in college. I can do whatever I want, have fun, because this is before I, you know, have to be an adult. You are an adult. <laughs> so we need to make young people accountable for their actions. We need to make adults accountable for their actions. But we need to do that. We need to treat them as such then. We need to treat them as adults. We need to treat them with respect. Um, This is why we don't have a college ministry in our church. We intentionally, Greg and I intentionally did not set up a college ministry. We tried it. We found it didn't work with our vision for the milestones because we didn't want the milestones to go on forever. Like at some point, you graduate. You're an adult, right? And um, we didn't want to keep segregating the age groups and prolonging adulthood. We said when you graduate the youth group, you are an adult. You should be integrated into into the sanctuary, into the body. Um, But we have to accept them then and treat them as such and treat them as adults and welcome them in. We have... Leaders in this church, you know, we have worship leaders up here. Our Pelt members, they're all, you know, in their early 20s, and they're treated still like kids. Some of them have families, and yet we still talk to them like, you know, oh, young person. You know, we call them young people, right? <laughs> and, um, but we need to show them respect. You wouldn't like if they were like, well, old person, right? You wouldn't do that. <laughs> but we do it for young people, and you may not realize it, but they don't take it very well because they're an adult. We need to treat them with respect, the same respect we would want. We have to give to them. We're, we're all adults here, and we, but we need to treat each other as such because it holds us accountable to you are a man or a woman of God, and you need to act as such. And so the more assets or support a child has while growing up, the better the chance the child has at spiritual and emotional maturity. And so we want them to grow up in a faith community where they are going to um, flourish and have people holding them accountable and supporting them and encouraging them. All right, so when we look at the Bible, um, the purpose of the Shema and God's covenant with Israel was to use these rituals to keep them in covenant, right? And we're in covenant with God. And our rituals and routines, they don't necessarily, they don't give us salvation, but they do keep us in covenant with God. They keep us in having a relationship with him. These spiritual disciplines keep us in communication with him. 
And in 2 Kings, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it talks about Josiah, who is the king of Judah. And the high priest finds the book of the law and brings it to Josiah. And Josiah, I mean, he's king, has never heard it. Never heard it. I mean, failure on passing on to the next generation that he didn't even hear it. And so he went up to the temple, him and the people, they renew their covenant with God. They celebrate Passover. Um, But you know what? This is happening again. It used to be that people had at least heard of church or heard of Jesus. We have kids who are like, what's church? What do you do there? I mean, that's real. We've met kids out in the parking lot who are like, what is this place? It's a church. Well, what's a church? What do you do? Um, So are we committing the same sins of Israel by not passing along our faith to the next generation? Are we setting up our own idols in place of our covenant with God through our different routines and our own rituals? Um, Growing up in a Christian home is not enough. Children need the faith community, and they need to understand how they fit into God's bigger story. We need to work together. We're in this together. We have to do it together. Um, And, you know, I get sometimes people say, well, I don't want to force my kids to go to church. I don't want them to fall away. You force them to do everything else, right? You force them them to eat their vegetables. You force them to go to bed. Um, I get you don't want to push them, but you're also not drawing them in. We need to be drawing them into the church, not pushing them to go, but drawing them in. Um, You're leaving it up to them to find their own way. If you're not getting your kid to church, if you're not saying, this is our home, this is what we do, we go to church on Sundays, you don't have a choice. If you're not doing that, you're leaving it up to them. And by leaving it up to them, it puts our kids in the same place as Josiah. How will they know if no one tells them? So, um, you know, that's something that, Greg and I, we've grown up with, in my own home, it's just what we did. We went to, there wasn't a question of it. We went to church Sundays and Wednesdays. We went to church. That's what we do. That's what our family does. If you're in this family, that's what we do. Um, Greg's upbringing was a little different, but he, when he was 18, 19 years old, he was living with a family, um, staying at their house, and he worked nights. He worked at a restaurant, so he was getting home really late, you know, two in the morning or something like that, and he missed church one Sunday because he had worked really late, um, and the dad of the home came in to him after church, and he said, as long as you live here, we go to church on Sundays. If you don't want to do that, you don't have to live here, and Greg was like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to church. Like, he, re- he didn't get mad. He respected this man for standing up for his household and saying, this is what we do in this home. And if you're going to live in this home, this is what we do. He found respect in that. It didn't, you know, push him away. Um, we are in covenant with God, but faith communities, we are, we're also in covenant with one another. Um, as we come to church together, we have a sort of commitment to one another, right? We're loyal to one another. Um, in the Hebrew scriptures, connectedness among the generations is always understood in the terms of covenant. Covenant's really important. If you haven't figured that out already, if you haven't taken a marriage class here, I recommend you do, but it's all about covenant. And everyone who's taken it knows what's the enemy of covenant? Self, that's right. So um, we need to teach our kids what it means to be in covenant with God. It's not about the self, right? It's about God. It's about the rest of the body, too. Um, the sense of generational relatedness and covenant has been diminished in modern society, modern society by the stress of individualism. Everything's about the individual now. It's all about, I'm unique, 
I'm an individual. That's what is, uh, <laughs> that's what is everywhere, especially in our kids' faces. That, you know, it's good to be different. It's good to be unique. It's good to be an individual. Yeah, it is good, but you still belong to a group. It doesn't mean you sacrifice the group. We all belong to the body of Christ, and when we don't play our individual part, the rest of the body suffers. You have to remember, yes, you're an individual, but you're an individual part of something. And so, thanks. So in Scripture, the passing on of faith was always done intergenerationally. So how are you going to do this? If you're a parent, how are you going to set up rituals and routines in your home that emphasize your value of God and church and the faith community? How are you going to um, pass your faith on to your children? How are you going to almost take back your home and say, this is what we do? You know, start to think of how are you going to I think of it almost as like Josiah and them renewing their covenant. How are you and your family going to renew your covenant with God? But then also, you know, speaking to all of you as a, as a body, um, the faith community, you may not have kids in, you know, in cake heads or, or in the youth group, but you are still very important to the children of this church. They're watching you. They see you. They watch you in worship. They learn from you. Um, and... We need you. We need you to be sharing your faith with the next generation because the parents are tired. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. Yes, it's the parents' job to disciple their children, but how can they continue to disciple their children effectively if they're not being discipled themselves? They're being pulled out of the service. You know, we need you to serve in the nursery today. We need you. I had a mom a couple weeks ago. I needed her in the preschool class. We had 12 kids in the preschool class. I need you to come down and help. Do you think she wanted to do that after being with her own three kids all day? She probably just wanted that time to be refreshed so that she could go home and put them to bed that night. So I'm asking you, you know, what can you do um, to serve not only the children, but their parents, to help their parents in this role of discipling their children and to be that support Um, the support system they need. So um, how are you upholding your covenant with God and with each other? So I just want to close with, you know, a little bit to say, you know, we have our parent summit coming up next week. It's so important for you to come and prepare yourself for your um, children's next milestones. And this isn't just for parents. This is for grandparents. If you have nieces and nephews that you're involved in their life, come. Come learn how you can share your faith with the next generation. Learn how to be prepared for the milestones in their life, how to celebrate these milestones. Come and support one another. Um, Come and, you know, bond as a faith community and say, I've been there before. Like, I know moms, we need to hear that. We need that, women. Like, we need someone to say, I've been there before. It's okay. You can do it. (laughs) Um, We need that as a faith community. So, um, you know, just reminder, next week is our parent summit on uh, Saturday. March 18th is from 9 to 4, and I encourage everyone, you know, today's the last day to register, but I would keep it open a day if you have people in mind that you're thinking, my neighbor needs to be there, my, you know, I need to have my daughter, my niece there, um, please come talk to us because we want to support one another, you know, that's, that's what we're supposed to do, is to support one another, so, all right, let's go to the Lord in prayer, will you stand with me? God, we thank you for um, 
the responsibility that you've given us, just that you would trust your treasure with us, God, these children, these young hearts, that you have given us the responsibility to mold them, to shape them, to speak into them. God, I pray that we wouldn't abuse that power, but that we would speak life into them, that we would share um, our faith, that we would share the covenant, the story of God with the next generation. Um, God, that we wouldn't commit the same sins as Israel, but that we would pass on this, um, pass on uh, your story and our faith, God, what you've done uh, with the next generation, Lord. And um, I just pray for everyone here uh, who has a hand in raising a child, God, that you would continue to give them strength um, to keep moving forward every day, the patience, God, to um, have your heart, to show your heart to these children. And, God, that they would have the boldness to make decisions in their family, to put you first and to show that you are what's most valuable to us, God, that we love you with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength, God. In your name we pray, amen.